I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio, and we've got a great one for you today. We've got two segments coming up. First one is Alex Chacon talking about making videos. He is the epic selfie guy. You've seen him on YouTube, and I'm sure you'll see him again. He makes all kinds of amazing videos. He's going to give you his hard-earned tips for free. And after that, we've got a family that is on the road riding two motorcycles with the three of them, mom, dad, and a son, and they are living the life on the road. Stick around, we got more coming up. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And MotorTour.com, the world's only independent social community for bikers. Plan routes, share travel blogs, and meet other bikers on what's been dubbed as the new Facebook for motorbike riders. It's 100% free, so join today at www.MotorTour.com. MotorTour. Ride, share, connect. That's www.MotorTour.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here is Herbert Schmutz. I am Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Russ. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. This is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Well, it seems that every time I pass a motorcycle now, especially adventure motorcycle, there's cameras stuck all over them. I mean, they're on the side of the helmet. They're on the top of the helmet. They're on the handlebars pointing forward. They're pointing backwards. Some people are, are going along with poles with a, the camera on their hand as, as they're buzzing down the road. I mean, everybody's filming everything. And as I buzz by them, I can't help but wonder, did my camera catch that? Well, of course I'm filming as well. I mean, how can you resist it? It's so fantastic to strap on that little GoPro, that little camera that is so incredibly powerful, capturing amazing images. I can't tell you, though, how many hours of footage I have staring at my handlebars as I go down trails. And honestly, to me, when I watch it, it's extremely exciting. I love it. I can remember every part. But of course, when I show it to anybody else, even my wife, I mean, I get a lot of rolling eyes and maybe about a 30-second attention span. So today, we have expert Alex Chacon, you've heard him on here before. Well, he's back to give you some amazing tips of what to do with that video, how to capture your video, and how to make it the viral video that everybody wants to see, just like his own. And you're also going to find out today how you can attend a seminar that Alex does where he teaches you this and even more about doing your video and how to market it. (music) 
I'm speaking with Alex Chacon, who is, uh, I believe, somewhere in Texas. And we have Alex back once again. We had him on before for an episode where we talked about video. In case you don't know who Alex is, uh, I don't know how you couldn't, really, if you watch YouTube at all. But Alex is the selfie guy. <laughs> I think that's what you'd be known as. Wouldn't it be Alex? That's right. Apparently, I'm the epic selfie guy. <laughs> and that uh, that video of you, which is brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. It was like a first that, that I saw anyway. I'm sure it was a first on YouTube was you holding your video camera up and, and turning around in circles, but cut from all these different places, which clearly you'd planned, at least to some degree, all these different countries you'd visit, different people standing around. It was It was brilliant. That's up to, what, 13 million views now? Yeah, yeah. People even say that I fathered the selfie because I had started filming that video three years ago before I released it. So I, there was no selfie sticks back then. There were no adapters. GoPro had not come out with their universal adapter yet. So people call me the father of selfies. That's really neat. Because where did the selfie pole come from? Did, do you think that GoPro saw you doing it and, and just said, yeah, that's a great idea? Yeah, so uh, we got a chance to go with GoPro on their, one of their shoots for their product launch. And even then, they had just barely come out with their uh, three-way pole. And before then, it was amazing just because there was no selfie sticks out there in the market. And it wasn't until my video released that selfie sticks were about a year into it. But it was three years before I started doing selfie sticks. Uh, it's just amazing. And the thing is, though, what's interesting with this is because uh, I think a lot of times when you see a viral video, you think that, well, somebody, you know, something just got lucky. And, and a lot of times it is. It's some, you know, I don't know, a cat does a backflip or something, you know, and, and re everybody thinks it's cute. And it's, a, it's a video that, that goes viral. But you've managed to have a bunch of them. Like you just posted a video last week. Tell us about that one. Yeah, so apparently now big brands and companies love what I'm doing from the authentic creative approach that I have on videos, how I integrate motorcycles, how I integrate just selfies and just different motorized stuff into it. And my last project was with LG. They were coming out with a new phone and uh, it was included selfies. And the best thing about this video was uh, it's got over, in a matter of five days, it's gotten over 1 million views, which is really incredible considering the fan base that I have. It's not, my fan base is not in the millions, but somehow the idea, uh, I believe, is what sells these videos that go viral. It's just amazing. Uh, 1 million views in five days. That is so over the top. It's pretty incredible, and I think that's the power of social media. I believe it's also the power of creativity, and it's the power of just getting out there and posting a video and just getting started. You know, Alex, I, I, we did talk about making videos and talk, did quite a bit of talking about how you make a video and how you get it on YouTube the last time we had you on the show. What I want to do is I want to get some tips from you um, for the, the would-be video maker, somebody that goes out there and wants to videotape their motorcycle trip uh, or any adventure for, for that matter. But first, I want to talk to you about, I know that you're, you're going to be going to uh, at least one of the Horizons Unlimited meetings as a presenter. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. So if you actually, I have a, I have two presentations I love to do at the Horizons Unlimited meetings. One of them has to do with my story and where I'm at now and what's happening and just the, the whole life-changing adventure of riding around the world. But now I have another one that's strictly on social media. It's about how to optimize your YouTube, how to optimize your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, the best things to do and the best things not to do. So I'm going to be uh, heading over to the California one this year in September, as well as the West Canada one uh, this year as well. So if you want to check that out and meet me in person and say hi and maybe take a selfie with me, I'll, I'll be there. 
You you were mentioning to me uh, a minute ago about um, the story. Can you tell us the story that you said about the the guy who who got a picture of you and tagged you? Yeah, so people know me as taking the most epic selfies in the world. And it's a great tag to have, by the way. It searches really great on Google. Uh, But it was really cool. I was doing this film for uh, LG, and I was in Utah in the National Park in Canyonlands. And they had this beautiful arch called the Mesa Arch. And I wasn't doing a selfie. I was just doing jumping pictures. I was just jumping in the air and hopefully capturing the moment. And some guy recognized me. He took a picture of me away from the back. I never saw him. And the only way I knew he existed was because he tagged me on social media and said, oh, this is my hero, Alex, you know, the modern moto guy. And here's a picture of him doing his jumping stuff. And it's amazing how people now can just recognize my face and whether it's a selfie I'm taking or whether it's a unique picture I'm taking. And I get caught up in the middle of the street with people who who know who I am. And it's incredible because three years ago when I started traveling, I had no money in my bank. I sold everything I had to travel around and it was just me, one GoPro camera and the world to see. And now it's become a a viral phenomenon. And the interesting thing about that is when you left on your motorcycle trip, you didn't leave to go make a video, make a selfie video. You were going on a motorcycle trip. Yeah, it was all about the adventure. I was at the very, the very, very first week of my three year around the world trip was all for me. I was just, this is my trip. I don't want anybody to know anything about it. It's just going to be my thing. And then I started filming, taking pictures and created a following. And I said, how great is it to share this experience with everybody else? Uh, despite the fact that many people have done it with pictures, I said, well, video really hasn't hit it, hit it really hard uh, like pictures have. And I'm going to try something new. And you now have made yourself a job that didn't exist. I don't think it really does exist. If you went looking for this job, you, you, you wouldn't be able to find it. If you asked the corporations for their budget for this, you probably wouldn't find that either because it's probably in some other slush fund or something. But you're actually doing this for a living now. Yeah, let alone if you want to get into this. Uh, the only job requisites that I had to go through was selling everything I had, not working for three years, and coming up with new creative, innovative techniques of filming. And with those few things, I think you can take this job as well. <laughs> so it's an easy in. Yeah. One question I have is, when any when anytime you get super successful at something like this, like and I'm thinking of, uh, I often have thought of music. Um, you know, people who are, are musicians, they make a successful album, and then they've got the pressure to make a second one. Did you feel that after that first one? Did you sort of go, "Wow, this is amazing," but oh my god, can I do it again? I think there's always a pressure to. To, to basically to perform it's you know it's a performance thing and it's a view thing and the way these big companies come at you is okay how many views you have how many can you get so i definitely felt a little bit of pressure from making my second video the third video but there was something so powerful about my first one that i was so utterly happy to finally have connected the adventure writing world and the general public and the market and just being on national television and people getting into adventure bikes and realizing that anybody can travel on motorcycles so i was so content with the way it happened that everything else was uh, was unimportant to me so i didn't care if i got 10 views on the next video or a thousand views it was i was so happy with the first one so the way i look at it now is that i'm so happy and content with anything that happens because i still have videos that hit maybe 30,000, 50,000. And I got some videos that go up in the millions and I'm as happy with one as I am with the other. It's all about, it's all about, do you know if you did the best job possible on this idea? Alex, what are the, the core principles of making a good video? 
Well, in the motorcycle community, it's very simple. What you always, what you need to know is what's out there, and you also have to figure out what's not out there. And what's always out there is somebody sticking a camera to the side of their helmet and leaving it on for the next two hours, and hopefully capturing something cool. The fact is that people upload this, and it's two hours of riding cam footage, which is incredibly boring for most of us since we're always riding. And if you're lucky, you might get a car crash, or you might get someone uh, who throws flowers at you, or something interesting uh, out of those two hours for ten seconds. And the big problem is that we just people people think that everybody else likes to see what they're seeing, and the truth of the matter is. Unfortunately, the YouTube space is all about how can you entertain your public, how can you entertain the internet, and that's a sacrifice that comes with come trying to get as many views as you can and having a social presence like I have. Is that my first videos didn't get a lot of hits because they were all about the experience, about the true hardcore raw adventure riding and travel and what was going on through my life. And the things that got the most views were the things that entertain people the most. You mean the general public, so it's not motorcycle specific. Correct. Yeah, yeah. You, I would have. We have the general fans, the ones who are passionate about a ten-minute video. But then, the most sought-out and viewed videos on the internet are between one and three minutes. So, if you want to grab the general mass public, you can't be posting just writing videos. So, the thing that I figured out is you have to combine a greater cause behind the video to a unique idea and mix them. And that unique idea is either motorcycles or adventure riding or travel and bring it in in a very entertaining way to the mass public because that's how you get the views. You don't get the views within the motorcycle community. You get the views with everybody else. Right. You want to be able to have a video that, that somebody can post and that anybody's going to look at and go, oh, I'm not into motorcycling, but that looks really cool. Which was your self, selfie video. That first selfie video did exactly that. Yeah, you, you can see that there's a lot of motorcycle stuff. You see the motorcycle in the background, but the bigger picture is transcending this these two different categories that are very broad. Many of us, when we're filming, we tend to point the camera at the bike and um, we, we film a lot of, well, bike shots, really. It's the bike going by, it's the bike doing this. <laughs> is, is that what we should be concentrating on or, or are people more important? I, I filmed and photographed my bike just like everybody else, 99% of the time, because you're off the bike and you have to take a picture of the bike and you can't be on the bike at the same time. You got to pull out your tripod and it becomes a mess and it becomes very time consuming. And when you ride, you get very tired and just, you don't want to deal with that. You got places to go, things to see. So it's obviously not the best way to do it because what I found is that when you tell a story from a, a very humanistic way, that's what really gets people integrated and involved and deeply rooted within what you're trying to create. And it's just this amazing thing when you see a really horrible video and then you see a good video and the music moves you and you can relate to it and there's a human connection to it. I think, I think that's what sells it. That's the primary source of selling it. But everything else that comes with it is secondary, like the motorcycle, the scenery, where you're going. But it's truly a very human nature to want to connect with the video and the scenes you're watching. So you need to be able to connect an idea, a story, or a filming technique so that everybody can relate to it and then add the motorcycle aspect into it as a topping or a layer to the cake, if you will. 
A lot of people after the last time we talked had, had asked about um, powering the camera, um, doing the, those sorts of things that the camera batteries run low. And there was a, somebody else who's a traveler who was also talking about that. I remember seeing some postings on that. What, how do you handle the whole battery aspect of, of filming, especially if you're doing, uh, if you've got it mounted there and you're filming for a long time, hoping to catch, you know, an amazing sequence? Yeah, the unique thing about driving a, a motorcycle around the world for three years, Jim, is the fact that you can get so many extremes of experience. And one of my extremes is the fact that everything that I did up until my crazy viral uh, videos coming out recently is the fact that I filmed everything on one camera with one battery with one mount. That was the extreme of not having anything. Obviously, you know, I struggled with accidentally having the camera in my pocket. It turns on and I have no battery when I see this great thing. <laughs> uh, we all learn those small little nuances that happen in, the, in our filming. So now I have a lot more batteries and, you know, but the fact is that you can take a whole professional kit or you can take one camera and somehow make it work like I did. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Alex, what you're saying there is the exact same thing we always say about motorcycles. Everybody wants to know what equipment do I need? What's the best bike? All of this. And, and really what it comes down to is actually getting out there and doing it. I guess ultimately, uh, I thought of it popped into my head as you were speaking there about it, um, is that time. I mean, you spent three years. So really what you got to do is you got to get on your bike and ride. And what a great answer for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the other extreme for you is that my video that got uh, two and a half million views, that was basically a head cam shot and that was just a front frontal shot of mounting the the camera on the bike in front of me that one took three years to film got two and a half million views the video i did last week took me a week to film and got a million views so again there's this funny extreme to where you need to know how the market really is and how to get the views to really make it go because it could take you three years it could take you a week and it could take you one day to get something good yeah, but when you started out, you, you didn't know anything about angles and whatnot, and you were sort of just taking little shots here and there and seeing what worked. Now you got to have a pretty good idea of what you're after when you go out and look to look at something to, to film, because you're even doing stuff for tourism boards. I know that you did stuff for, I think it was Chile, and uh, I thought some other things on there. But you you got to know when you go out what you're after and know how to capture it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now, nowadays, I mean, somebody like the tourism board in Mexico, we did a great project where we we did selfies and we did drones. So we call them dronies. And it was to help promote tourism in Veracruz. You can find that video actually on my YouTube, search Alex Tacone or search uh, Epic Dronies. And you'll see you'll see what it is because there was money putting into that. And I, I'm still a firm believer that Yes, you got to know what you're doing, but the way that my videos have come into fruition haven't been the preparation of them. It's been getting to the locations, being inspired, and trying different techniques because my 360 video, my 360 epic selfie video, uh, came after six months of traveling on my trip. It didn't come immediately. It was figuring out what was cool, what was unique, and how I can capture the area in a different way. So I had no idea what I was doing for the first six months. It was going in there, trying 15 different things and having one of them work. So when you're looking at filming something, are you doing like, like I mean, when you think of somebody like Ansel Adams, the, he would go and sit at a spot and watch the light change and everything. Is that the sort of thing you're doing? You're spending like hours and hours at one spot that you think is spectacular to try and get the, you know, the perfect shot? Yeah, I mean, that's not really uh, what, as you'll see, there was a photographer, I forget his name, but he sold a photograph for, I believe, the highest in the world, which is like $2 million or $3 million. It was a picture of the Navajo slot canyons in Arizona. And it was that perfect time where the light just comes in barely enough to kind of 
illuminate the dust in the air. And it was just this really nice shot. It was called the ghost image, I believe. And the issue with that is you can spend two weeks getting that one shot. And the thing with driving motorcycles and traveling the way that we do is you don't have the luxury of sitting there for 24 hours waiting for the light to be perfect for your for your shot. So what happens is that a lot of my scenes on my video are not the best. They're not the best quality because I'm not going to wait around for six hours in the middle of Bolivia in the salt flat when I can drive across it just so the light's perfect for five seconds of footage. So that's a sacrifice again of of not having the perfect lighting conditions or environment, but you just have to do it. And as my extremes have shown, I don't believe it's a matter of how good a quality the, the, the video is, although that could be it. But the way I work is the type of concept and creative aspect behind it that seems to sell my videos. So I want to get into, I do want to talk a minute about social media and how that affects how the video is accepted once you're done. But let's just talk about equipment and, and as dry as this can be to some people, because some people go, oh, it's not about the equipment, it's about the creative process. Let's just talk about the equipment. First of all, you shoot with GoPro cameras. Uh, I sh now shoot with a variety of things. I, my trip started with a GoPro and moved on to a point and shoot camera. And now I'm using the top end ones uh, like the Canons and the 1DX and the really expensive ones. Okay, and why are you doing that? What what does it do for you? Well, the reason I use the reason I'm really honestly, Jim, and this is the honest answer, is the reason I'm using them is because I get them for no cost, if not a very low cost. So if you have, you know, if you have a Ferrari in the garage, are you going to let it sit there? Or are you going to drive it around? It's I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to drive it around and see what it does. But I still do a lot of the things I do with the low end cameras because they, again, it's not about. I cannot go skydiving and carry a huge DSLR. I can go skydiving and strap a GoPro to my leg and do something. Um, so that's that's the primary reason I do it. But when when these big companies come at you, they they want a little they want professional quality. So I try to mix a lot of authentic creation and ideas into a professional looking film at the same time. So I'm trying to cater to the people who actually fund these things while at the same time keeping to the fans and the creative process of saying anybody can do this. So if we're talking about mounts, a way to hold the camera to get these different angles, one of my biggest problems is when I go out, I find, is that I, I just don't have a, enough ways to mount the camera to get you know the angle I want, the shot I want, etc. What do you carry or what do you would you recommend to someone to get, even just for the GoPro? Yeah, so let's focus on the GoPro real quick, is there's there's only so many angles you can film on a motorcycle. And if you look at a few YouTube films, you'll see all of the angles you can possibly imagine. But... I would say that having those sticky mounts is really great because you can stick that underneath the uh, the fairing of the bike. You can stick it on one of your boxes. You can stick it in front of you. You can stick it on your on your top of your helmet. You can stick it anywhere, uh, and that's going to get different angles anywhere you put it. Um, and that's really the only thing I would say to have. The other thing is obviously a selfie pole. I know selfie poles have a negative connotation, but what's stopping you from sticking it in the mud or sticking it in the middle of a river and driving by? I think that's the other useful thing I've, I've been using selfie sticks for is the complete opposite of what a selfie stick is meant to be. But I've, I've, I've hung that thing from trees. I've had elephants step on the things. I've had uh, dropping it 5,000 feet into a crevasse. I've never seen the camera ever again after that. So there's just really unique things you can do with a pole. So I think a pole, a bunch of sticky mounds, and I think more uh, creative ideas is, is the, are the three things you got to have. 
So as far as general tips, somebody wants to film their video uh, or somebody wants to film their trip rather and they're going out, they want to take, I mean, we're obviously limited with our motorcycles of how much gear we can take. What are some overall general tips you would give someone that has a dream of making maybe a viral video? Yeah, I think the very first thing is realize why you're filming. Are you filming something for yourself? Are you filming something to get as many views as possible? Are you filming something that the media agencies can get a hold of? Or if you're trying to get a sponsor, are you trying to cater something to get financial support for your trip? And I think once you have your audience, the rest will come to you. If you want to get the most views, in my case for viral, you want to find a combination of satisfying yourself of saying, do I want to document this trip for myself so I can look back on it and remember what I did and what was important to me. But at the same time, I want to be sure to entertain somebody and change the camera angles every 10 seconds or so so it doesn't get too boring. Uh, On that note, I would also say keep your video down to less than three minutes. Uh, Anything five minutes and above becomes too difficult uh, to sell to somebody. If you're not aware, the views on YouTube, depending on how and where they're showcased, is that it sometimes takes 50% of the time of the video to count as a view. Or sometimes it takes 30 seconds to count as a view. And in the past with YouTube, you actually had to look at the uh, 80% of the video before it counted as a view. So if you have a 10 minute video, you got to watch eight minutes of that before it counts as a view. That was the way it used to happen. Now uh, they're doing it to where I believe the first 30 seconds, if not half the video to count as a full view. So if you're for views, I think uh, keeping it short, keeping it simple and changing the camera angles around uh, every 10 seconds, 15 seconds is minimum. And when we're talking about worrying for worrying about views, we're really sort of leaning towards sponsorship or what the reason people would be uh, worried about other than for, you know, your your own bragging rights, I guess, saying you've got a video on there that has so many views. But a lot of people are going to be looking at it, trying to get sponsorships. And I don't want to dig too deep into the sponsorship thing, but how do you feel about sponsorship and how easy it is to get? Yeah, I think nowadays is an exciting time to be a motorcycle rider or a traveler or a backpacker. It's an exciting time to do anything in life because it's the first time we have had access and people willing to sponsor if you love throwing frisbees. There's a guy on YouTube that dedicates his whole life to throwing frisbee trick shots. There's a woman who dedicates her entire life on opening boxes and doing these openings. It's absolutely silly, but at the same time, you know, finally, the adventure rider has a career because I want to travel around and show the world and talk about motorcycles. And that is now the ability to make a job. Unfortunately, the other horrible programming on YouTube comes with that, but it provides an opportunity for all of us. And what happens now is that whenever you want to get sponsorships, the first thing these companies ask is what is your social capital? And that's to say, what is your following? What is your presence? What are your what are your materials going to get online as far as views, as far as who else shares this of of uh, of different partners? So these there's no the thing with social media is that there's nothing to measure the metrics of what you're doing. So that's to say if LG spends $100,000 on advertising for you, they want to have a return on that. And there's no metrics to measure the impressions on Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. There's nothing to be able to tell LG, well, for 100 grand, you get this minimum. So the great part about being in the spot we are now, everybody, is that we have the advantage of if I have 
a very low number of followers, but I do something really cool and unique, it doesn't matter how many views you get. It's the representation of how powerful it seems you are and your presence and how big it is on the internet, regardless of your social numbers. And I think that's a big advantage because there's people like Marriott Hotels who got in contact with me and they said, we don't have any followers on on our YouTube because we don't have a channel. So we're just going to throw a bunch of money at it to anybody that posts anything about Marriott. And I declined that offer, but it, it gives you an idea that people are just throwing money and sponsorships at the most random things because we live in an exciting time to where there's no way to measure it. So some of us can capitalize and who don't have a lot of views. So that's a huge opportunity for everybody else who has 10 followers, one follower, zero followers. If you're doing something interesting and unique and creative, there's so much money on advertising and sponsorships right now. It's it's amazing. I don't know why everybody's not on YouTube right now. So when you're saying that you're doing the, uh, the, the, the social media and you're, you're talking about it didn't, didn't matter of how many followers you had, you, what you're referring to then is the people that will repost your, your information, reshare it? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's your followers. It's your fan base. So, for example, in total, I got maybe, depending on my email list and everything, I got between a quarter of a million followers and sometimes half a million followers. It depends uh, which social handles you're looking at. So that's to say that even when GoPro got in contact with me, I had maybe 10,000 followers on all my channels and they got in contact with me and they wanted to do a project with me because it was the idea and the creative niche that I had that sold me. It wasn't my numbers. And that video got 2 million views. So the trick is to produce something and, and get some attention first. And then hopefully they're going to come knocking on your door or do you knock on theirs? Yeah, uh, I do a variety of both, but I'll tell you that about 90% of my business and things that come of, uh, of projects have been people coming for me. Uh, it's very few that the people I go to. So now the tables have turned. We as the creators on YouTube and social media, we finally have the business power to do anything that we want to do and have people want to work with us rather than us going to them. So that's a huge 180 transition that's happened in the past uh, five years, if not three years because now we have the power as the people. Before it was all the companies that had the power and that's a very exciting time for us right now. Is this th- some of the information that you'll be sharing at the Horizons Unlimited events? Yeah, this is a little bit of my many experiences and uh, wonderful knowledge that I've acquired in this past year of uh, running around Hollywood and running around social media and creating projects for big brands. So that along with how to optimize your social channels, what gets the most views, what not to do, you know, the little secret that I have of uh, sharing the groups and uh, retweeting the right things and knowing, you know, what the hashtag and who to reach out to. So I, I share all that great information with uh, all the Horizons members. Well, that'll be something that's worthwhile for a lot of people just to go just for that one talk at the Horizons Unlimited event. And um, we'll post those dates and the links uh, in our show notes. Alex, where can people find out more about you and in what areas of social networking? Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm on every social handle you can think of almost. Uh, if you just search on Google Alex Chacon, that's C-H-A-C-O-N, you'll find me on the very first search of Google. Uh, you can find me on Facebook too. And you can find me on uh, YouTube as Alex or even search uh, Most Epic Selfie or Selfie or Droney and you'll, I'll be the first one up there. 
Well, that's great. There's a lot of good information there. And hopefully somebody uh, who's listening is interested. They'll go and see you at the Horizons Unlimited event. Alex, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your your secrets, really. I mean, you're just putting it all out there for everyone to, to scoop up for free from your hard work. And, and we certainly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jim. And congratulations on the great show and your, your one year anniversary that just passed by. I've been speaking with Alex Chacon, who is a social media expert, and he is the epic selfie guy. You can find out more about Alex by visiting his website at modernmotodiaries.com or drop by our website and check the show notes for this episode. Well, that was my own grandpappy playing the banjo right here on my porch as we sit out here having a barbecue on a hot summer day. We're going to have the the Bordens coming up next. They call themselves the Adventure Trio, and it is a family on the road with a fantastic story. But first, I want to give you a tip for a newsletter that you can join to get a bunch of free information. Here it is. It's Max BMW, one of our advertisers. They put out an amazing newsletter. I mean, one, not one of those ones that you get normally every week that sort of bores you to death and, and tries to sell you more product. Um, they call it their e-rider, and it's good information. So anyway, I'll, I'll leave it with you. You go there, sign up, see what they send you. Go to maxbmwmotorcycles.com and uh, check out their e-rider newsletter. Now we're off to the Bordens. So we've captured them by Skype, but the wonderful uh, technology of the internet has allowed us to do this. Capture them by Skype sort of midway on their trip. And the three of them are all crowded in a room uh, around one probably decrepit computer. And you can imagine it with a light bulb hanging from the ceiling because they're in a hostel. Uh, They're not staying in in the fancy high-end locations that you may find on some adventures. They're having a real adventure. We'll be right back with the Adventure Trio. You know, we get caught up on a lot of things in life and, you know, this modern society and the way that we live with our everything, social media and our telephones and the whole bit, that things seem to come and go very, very quickly. And time, I believe maybe it's just as I get older, um, time tends to slip away so fast. Just before you know it, another day, another week, another month. And it's really easy to get caught up in that day-to-day life and not spend time really on the things that are most important to you. And that's why I think a story like the one we have on today is so special because it's a family that's on an adventure together, an extended adventure. It's the adventure trio. So it's mom, dad, and son. It's uh, Terry, Sandy, and Jack Borden. And the Bordens have been on the road for a while now, and they'll be on the road for a while longer still. But they've broken away from that that normal life, so to speak, that, I, that we always refer to, the quote-unquote normal life. And they went off to do something that's completely different. And in doing so, they've become so much closer, so much tighter as a family. And Jack, being the, the son of the family, he's uh, I think he's 14 right now, but he's growing up fast. And, and one thing, when you have kids and you watch them grow up, the one thing you really realizes just how short that time period is when they're actually growing up. I mean, one minute, you know, your your son is looking at you and listening to every word as if you're a god, and the next minute he's um, going off on his own and, and doing things on his own with little regard to what you have to say at this point, because you'll have to wait a few more years until he gets older when he realizes that maybe you had uh, something valuable to say. But I, I, I digress. 
the point is, though, that it's really important to spend time with the ones you love. And what better way to do that than to go on an extended venture? Remove yourself from everything that you do on your day-to-day life and do something completely different. That's what vacations do, if you think about it. And even though they tend to be short and maybe a lot packed in, vacations remove you from that regular day-to-day life and set you off on on an adventure. And, And a lot of times it's time to spend some real quality time with your loved ones. With an extended adventure, you get beyond that honeymoon period or the adjustment period, whatever you want to call it, where maybe it's euphoria the first couple of weeks, maybe not. Maybe it's stress because you're actually spent uh, stuck spending 24 hours a day with a person that maybe you wouldn't otherwise because you'd be going off to work and they'd be going off to work. So it's really special to spend that experience extended vacation or that extended adventure time with someone and and just quality of life you know so i love stories like this and i hope you enjoy it too it's sandy terry and jack borden they call themselves the adventure trio right now we're in parana argentina uh we are actually right next we are very close to uruguay and uh, Brazil right now. And Paraguay. And Paraguay. We're, we're, we're kind of out the Latin America four corners. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. And what's your weather like? Today, it's nice. Yeah, it's really nice today. But we need to look to where we're going tomorrow because there's a big storm up near the Iguazu Falls that we need to watch out for, which so. uh, we've already been cold enough on our way through Argentina because even though we are only at about a thousand feet. We are. It is still very cold because it is winter. It's winter time. It's winter. It's winter. <laughs> it's winter time. It's cold, and there's a lot of wind in. Uh, I guess the Great Plains of Argentina. <laughs> you guys are camping the whole way, right? Off and on. Yeah, we try to. We met up with another family that apparently met us at a travel event three years ago. That have been on the road for a year or two. Met up with them and we camped with them for for two or three nights and. We camped also on the Uni Salt Flat, which was about negative twenty degrees Celsius. Celsius. Yeah, wow. and it was as it was as cold camping with them at maybe a tenth of the altitude. Yeah, we try to camp as much as possible. We're we're in a hostel right now, right? Because it's just too. It's, it was cold. We needed a shower, and needed to get a strong Wi-Fi and get some work done. <laughs> I'm speaking with the Adventure Trio, who is Sandy, Terry, and Jack Borden on a, well, relatively unusual adventure because you don't find many families traveling by motorcycle and they've got two motorcycles. Um, obviously, Jack is is too young to ride on his own, so he's riding on the back of one of the motorcycles. Tell us how this whole thing got started. Like Back up sort of right before the, the whole planning and, and the decision to go what was life like before this all happened? Jerry, you want to take this one? Well, I mean, I, I have uh, uh, been running a, a business for the last 25 years. And, um, you know, it got to the point where the, the work weeks were approaching 90 to 100 hours a week. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we finally did figure out to squeeze some uh, vacation time in. Uh, let me just back up and say, Prior to, to uh, Jack being born, taking any travel or vacation time was really unheard of. And it, and it wasn't until 2001 when, when Jack was born that I started to look at life a lot differently. Um, and as he approached age four and I started riding motorcycles and we started taking trips together and everybody got more um, 
interested in travel, um, uh, the trips became longer and, and, um, you know, we, we tried to put the work life balance thing in check a little bit more. So basically we did everything we were supposed to do for a very long time. Uh, school, house, suburbs, jobs, um, rinse, repeat. Sandy, you mean when you say you did everything you're supposed to, you mean as, as far as the status quo of society and, and what everyone expects from you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because just, I mean, in North America, um, you just, you kind of get, oh, well, you get married and you have kids and then they play baseball and they play soccer and you go to tournaments and which is totally fine. That's, if that's what you want, that's excellent. Um for us, we just didn't fit into that category. But did you know it at the time, or, or was there some sort of catalyst that set you off that made you look and think, what am I doing? Um, I don't think we knew at the time. I think we didn't have time to think about it. We were running too much. No, and, and with some of the shorter trips that we were doing, the, the two and three and eventually four-week trips, um, this was always on the radar, but it always seemed like something that we were either um, – too busy, couldn't feel feel like we couldn't do. Yeah, we we were always pushing it off into someday, someday, and then finally it, it just turned into someday should should be now. He's not getting any younger, we're not getting any younger, and we'd like to do it when we can all enjoy each other's company but, and have him young enough to uh, young enough for it to really make an impression for the rest of his life. I will say the catalyst though was we were. We had just finished presenting at Overland Expo two years ago, three years ago, three years ago. And uh, Terry and I kind of looked at each other and said, well, I feel like we're not doing and experiencing what everybody else here is doing. We're only taking these shorter jaunts, lest it be on a motorcycle with your child. But um, we decided on our way home from Overland Expo, Terry and I uh, were in the truck because we had towed the motorcycles down. And uh, looked at each other and made a handshake deal that in a year and a half, we were going to downsize our life, um, downsize our our lifestyle, and take off on a motorcycle adventure. And we shook on it. And for the next hour, we didn't even look at each other or talk. I think we just, we were scared of, oh, what did we just do? Oh, crap. <laughs> so that was it. That when, was it. When you guys shook on it. I mean, was it real serious? You, you, like it was just a no turning back thing? Yeah. 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 yeah I, I think it had to, well, I don't want to say it had to be. I mean, it was one of those, those times where a decision was made. It's something that we'd both been thinking a lot about and to actually say it, shake on it and, and commit. I mean, that's, that's kind of what we needed to do to push it forward. Otherwise it would always be one of those things we could always delay. Well, we're tired of being part of the someday crowd and we wanted to be part of the now and we're done giving excuses. We could, everybody does that. We could keep doing it, but, uh, it took a serious handshake deal <laughs> and a lot of not talking. So it was good. But it's so easy to walk away from that. I mean, it's so easy to wake up the next morning and go, boy, that was a stupid idea. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. It's very easy. And, uh, I mean, the year and a half approaching our departure wasn't without its panic attacks and, you know, anxiety and, and a few tears here and there wondering what you've done. Cause we downsized everything and took off. Mm -hmm. I mean, just ciao. 
You said you, you you weren't experiencing what everyone else was experiencing there. What's the difference? I mean, what did you think they were getting out of life that you weren't? Well, I, I mean, when when we say that, I mean, talking about other other travelers, um, whether they were people with kids or not kids or solo uh, travelers, just people that had made a, a, a decision to take a big trip to explore without the limits of four weeks to come back. You know, I mean, we've done some great trips in four weeks, but, um, you always feel rushed about the middle to the end of the trip because you're, you're now preparing to return home and to have something where the, the return date was far enough out that we had a lot of freedom to explore, change schedules, change directions, um, was was important to us. I mean, I think for everybody's sanity and and just to to maximize what we all wanted out of the trip, which took quite a while to to sort out, even while we were traveling. And I think we were missing an immersion factor. We yeah. wanted to be immersed in something completely different than what we had experienced. And I think in our eyes, and just having so many friends that have traveled and done extended travel we wanted to have that immersion experience as well and bring Jack into it and show him life beyond what we're calling it life beyond the usual. And I think so far we, after 10 months now, yeah, 10 yeah, months on 10, the road. 10 months. Yeah. A couple days yeah. ago. Uh, 10 months, um, as of two days ago. Well, that's a long time and it's a big commitment. I mean, I have to ask you what probably everyone else did. Um, you're giving up so much. Weren't you, weren't you afraid to, I mean, 25 years of a business, you're, you're walking away from that. I don't know if you're going back to it or, or if it's still going to be there for you, but I mean, you're walking away from a lot and you're completely stepping into the abyss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, this is, this is not for the faint of heart and it's not without its fear. And as Sandy said earlier, it's, it's panic attacks leading up to, and shortly after departing. I mean, uh, you're always leaving something on the table um, there's always something and there's always, something. there's always the risk of losing it all or, uh, gaining something even better on the other side. You just don't know. But I mean, we've, we've had enough, enough experiences along the way that really should have pushed us this direction a lot sooner in life that we, we, we didn't take advantage of that. Um, it was just time. And like I said earlier, Jack is 13. So we're going to get a few more years before he's really, really independent and wanting to take off and do his own stuff and eventually in, into college. And, uh, um, you know, now, now's the time. Um, and as a parent, you question if you're doing the right thing by pulling, because everybody says, Oh, you're pulling him out of school. Won't he miss so much? And we've talked for years with fellow motorcycle travelers, um, which I'm sure, you know, um, the friends of ours, Simon and Lisa Thomas, were big advocates for what we were doing. We had talked to them years previous to, to departing, and um, they just kept telling us, as well as the rest of our motorcycle family, um, he will gain so much more on the road than he will in a classroom. And that, I think, we're definitely finding 
But you've got all kinds of people around you, I'm sure, before you're leaving, telling you that that's, that's crazy. It's not the thing you do. It's not the responsible thing you do. I mean, you're going out, there's all kinds of risks with travel, etc. That has to be the things that you, you're weighing up with, with some real weight on you. And, and by the way, you know, getting into this, I mean, I have four kids and, and we brought them up. Um, we did homeschooling. We lived in a, a remote place where you had to go and buy boat for a while. And so we've done a lot of unorthodox things as well. So I, I sort of have a feeling now. my youngest one is, is um, just heading off to university at the end of this year. So I have a feeling of what it's, what it's like, what you've went through, but maybe talk a little bit about what that's like to deal with. I mean, there's always the naysayers for everything we do, but especially when it comes to kids, because all of a sudden you've got the people are using words like responsibility um, and like uh, obligation. Right. Um, we had some of that, but amazingly enough, um, a lot of people who had some negative thoughts kind of kept to themselves. And we had people questioning safety or you're taking them into Mexico. The best one was when a friend of ours asked Terry, are you bringing a gun? Um, <laughs> and, and, or are you bringing a knife and just all these, you know, the, the, the media blast of, of everything is scary. If you step outside of the U S um, you're going to be, uh, fending for your life if you step out of the U S and we've seen completely the opposite, but getting back to what you were, um, asking it was we had one final party we left we lived in a university town of davis in california and we had one last neighborhood party uh, before we left to move up to a much smaller town in northern california and i want terry to finish the story because you're the one that had the interactions with some of our neighbors well uh, without um going into too much detail detail um the house is empty there's no furniture left the for sale sign is down because the house is in escrow. Um, we invite neighbors and friends from the neighborhood over, and um, we and tell everybody them, shows up. And we tell them they ask what we can bring: bring a chair <laughs> and bring wine because there's nowhere to sit. Everything's gone, and the night winds down. Everyone has a great time. We had people there that we haven't seen in in years, and um, two people that were notable that came up to me at the end. Both were people that were fairly pessimistic. Um, in life, they were nice people, but pessimistic. And one guy came up to me and, and I said, okay, I'm going to prepare myself for the, you're going to die in Mexico speech. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, you know what, Terry, I think what you guys are doing is great. Um, you guys are going to have a great time. And he, he, he stopped for a moment and looked at me square in the eye and said, every day here is the same, nothing changes. And, you know, thinking back on our time, in the suburban neighborhood, which we had a lot of fun and there's a lot of a lot nice of people, memories, but yeah. I mean, there was a lot of days that were the same, that nothing changed and you felt like Groundhog Day. So it was, it was, um, uh, you know, people that we thought would be naysayers, um, yeah. really, I think it, it made them think about their own lives and their own situations and, and, um, they were able to be honest about, um, uh, their thoughts with, what we were going to take off and go do. And then there was another neighborhood been friend. Our kids have been raised together and she came up to us and said, so you two, you as a family, you're doing what all of us are afraid to do. Um, because changes, it's hard and 
And and she she really wasn't talking about the travel portion as much as it was just taking a ninety degree turn in life, selling a house you lived in for fifteen years and moving to a town that was two hundred miles away, and really taking some risks of of drastic change. And um, mm-hmm. you know it, it's really easy to get comfortable in your house and your neighborhood and your your situation, even if you're not totally happy with it. It's it's predictable and you know what to expect out of it. And and um, I think this particular person again who was a bit of a pessimist for her to admit that that really rang with me a lot because I, I, I again expected the you're going to die in Mexico speech and it was the total opposite. And just one more thing. We had people that we'd known for years in the neighborhood that um, as soon as they saw the for sale sign and we were, we were packing up, they just stopped talking to us and we tried to figure out these are good friends and why they wouldn't even look at us. They pretend we, we were already gone and it was after lamenting about this for quite some time, it was, we were and some finally fessed up. We're reminding them of what they're scared to do. And I don't want to remind people what they're scared to do. I want to encourage them to do more of what they want to do and to enjoy each other as a family, enjoy them, their spouse, enjoy their time together. And that's what we're trying to do more more of is encourage families to go and do this though as hard as it is it's uh it's <laughs> it's worth all the anxiety attacks and the bottles of wine and, and and all your time but it's it's absolutely worth it well it's human nature isn't it to hold on to what we have rather than uh um chase something new that's unsure it's oh. it's just our, our nature, and I think that's sort of built into everyone. They, they'll uh, there, there's often uh, statements made that people will fight harder to hold on to something than they will to try and gain something new, and it's the it's the unknown. You're, I mean, you guys are stepping out into the unknown, and and it had to be you know terrifying yet extremely exciting, and that's really I mean really that's the essence of life, isn't it? It's it's sort of pushing yourself to that edge where it's it's scary, but it's really living, and it's it's when you know you're living, isn't it? It, yeah, going through all the emotions is an absolute roller coaster. That while you're on it, sometimes you question your own sanity. And when you're in another country, and and to even just just say just last night, being in this this city in Argentina and being able to walk arm in arm with my boys down the street and enjoy each other and walk slowly and take our time and immerse ourselves in the culture. Those are the reminders that what we're doing is good and that we made the right decision. I mean, we still have to come home and that's going to be another, another part of the roller coaster. But, um, right now to be able to do what we're doing is pretty special. It's pretty amazing. Jack, for you, and, and I gather you were not in on that handshake when, when the plans were set in motion, but for you, <laughs> before you went, 10 months and, you know, well, let's say 11 months ago, um, what was your thoughts on it? How did you feel about leaving your school, leaving your friends, leaving your neighborhood, your house? Well, my friends weren't exactly keen on me being different either. I mean... When I was in my elementary school, of which where I learned Spanish for this trip, um, I would tell them what I was doing this summer, like, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Chicago right across the states on a motorcycle. And they're like, yeah, I got to go to soccer practice. That's cool. Bye. And then it would just get left there. And then I would say, I do some of they told me all this stuff about it. And then I'd 
someone I didn't know, like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to go ask somebody else now. They would, they would kind of, um, well, how kinda, did you feel though before we left, when we left Davis and all that? Well, I felt, but when we left, I didn't feel as sad as I thought I would because I knew I had, in the time we were moving to, I had a lot more friends that were very accepting and would, would want to listen to my stories. Um, but leaving the house that I grew up in was definitely sad um, and leaving all the people I grew up with. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just change. It's just weird. What about the <laughs> idea of riding around on the back of a motorcycle for... Uh, I, I still have to kind of knock myself into thinking that I'm really here on a motorcycle in Argentina. You mean like or, sort of pinch yourself like it's exciting and you can't believe you're doing it? Yeah, I just sometimes I don't I don't believe I'm doing it. This sometimes. isn't just a, a thing for you're just excited about skipping school. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no skipping school. There's no skipping school. It's like a constant education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, many people will say that uh, you can get, you know, as you said already, you get far more out of travel as far as an education than than what you're going to miss. How long are you planning to be on the road for? Um, We're planning our, by the time we get home, we're planning to be home uh, a week or two before Christmas this year, which will end around uh, uh, 14 to 15 months in total travel time. 15 months, yeah. We had extended. It was the plan was originally eighteen months. Yeah, the the plan was that we were going to arrive back at home in March, March be, between February and May. Um, but uh, we found ourselves staying staying in countries longer than we expected, and I also broke my wrist in Costa Rica, um, and we were there for three weeks in in um, in San Jose, Costa Rica, and it's not the best story in the world, but I indeed fell off a bunk bed yeah wow jack you could have done better than that i would i would have come up with something anything (laughs) our friend one of our friends said just tell people some costa rican chick pushed you out of bed so that's how you felt i mean it was a rough bunk bed though right it was rough yeah Yeah. (laughs) that happens i mean you know they they can be dangerous for sure (laughs) when we were talking about the 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 first few weeks and leading up to it when you first got on the road, um, it had to be up and down, really. I mean, you had to have some euphoria to doing it um, and and some real stress while you're doing it. Again, the second guessing, and, and Terry, you had mentioned that as well. Um, just talk about that for a minute. Give us an idea of what it felt like. I think the first four months. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the first few weeks was spent saying goodbye to family and friends as we made our way from home in far northern California to... Uh, Horizons Unlimited in uh, Yosemite and on down through Central California and Arizona, um, we were staying with people along the way and every visit was a goodbye moment. So it wasn't just goodbye at home to our friends and our house and and, and everything. It it repeated itself for those couple of weeks. So um, by the end of that period of time, before we even left the U.S., we were just emotionally exhausted with, with, with that. And finally, after we, we, had the last visit, we said no, no more of that. I mean, we didn't have any, anyone else that we needed to see, but we, we were, we were just spent and, and really looking to, for our time to cross the border and, and experience something different. But even, even at that, um, 
uh, I don't even know how to finish no, that sentence. Right. I'm exhausted talking about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think getting into the into the groove, like Terry said, those first two to three weeks, we were still in the states and seeing people that we knew and saying goodbye. Um, that it was really hard for us. For me, I'll speak for myself. It was really hard to get into a groove. I mean, mind you, Terry and I have been married for we've been together for over 25 years. Um, he worked so many hours. Um, none of us had spent, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week together. And so we'd done it in short bits and spurts, but, um, we were adjusting to completely different lifestyle. And so I had to give up, each of us had to kind of give up and be accepting, um, of different parts of each other. I like for myself giving up just having to be in control of things all the time um, and getting used to be, having Terry us together all the time. You well, and, and me, me not having at least 15 hours a day of scheduled things to be responsible for and do. And in saying that, I mean, you, you take your responsibilities on, on the road. Let's say you're, you're eating, sleeping, et cetera, is all just moved to, to the road. So it's not like you're just freewheeling, but not having the days so jam packed that there was no time to think all of a sudden I had a lot of time to think. And that starts to kind of get you in, in your own head. Um, when you, when, when you go from not having any time at all to your own brain, to having some time, um, you know, you, 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 uh, there's, there's a lot of self-discovery and a lot of, a lot of things that you've got to work out. Um, just with this big life change. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. Well, y your mind can be cruel, can it? I mean, as you, as you go along, it runs through all the things that you believe are shortcomings or, or the things that you didn't think of, or, or again, the second guessing. I mean, your, your mind can be really cruel to you sometimes. Especially inside the helmet for eight hours. You've mm -hmm. got a lot of time to think. Um, but then we also learn to communicate with each other better in a different way teach Jack how to communicate, how to argue, <laughs> um, because, uh, we are together all the time We're all of us are in a room together or we're all camping together or you kind of learn how to communicate, how to settle an argument, um, how to be around each other or, or just to divide and conquer the day's yeah, tasks, true. you know, the, 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 the traveling, the packing, the food, the border crossings, the money, the language. I mean, there, there's all these new challenges that we didn't have before. So, you know, Sandy and I are both used to being in charge. And so now we're both together. You can't have both people be in charge of everything. Let your imagination so, run with so, that so, little scenario. So you, <laughs> you, you really have to, whether it's verbal or it's, it's, it's uh, verbal or nonverbal, trying to divvy those tasks up. So we're not stepping on each other's toes and that things get done. Um, even, even with Jack, I mean, he, he's got his own set of things that he's responsible for that there was times that we would step on his toes with it. And, and so we all really had to learn how to be good leaders and good followers and no in, different, shut up. In, in different, in different, different realms. <laughs> that, that, that's a really, that's a really good point, isn't it? I mean, you got to know when to just bite your tongue and has everyone learned that as sort of a lesson of being in close proximity, learning when to bite your tongue and how to keep your, your thoughts inside and figure that's ah, best just not to say anything. Usually, usually, usually. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say no. that we've got it all, all, all figured no. out. I mean, it's, it's, uh, 
it's taken a while and you know, you, you, you can change habits, but, um, you know, they're still pretty deeply ingrained. So there's a lot of thought, at least for me, that goes into not wanting to comment on the way something's being done. I've got to look and go, okay, that's the way that person's going to do it in that category. So let's roll with that. When it's my turn in my, in my category, then I will expect to be, to be, <laughs> to be left to my own devices. So I've learned to walk away. And we, what we have to remember is that whatever we're doing, Jack is watching. So we're teaching him how to react to situations as well. So, yeah, <laughs> it's const- it's constantly learning, but I think we're doing a lot better. Yeah, we're I mean, throw, th- throw throw um, throw different countries every few weeks or every few months into the mix, and the language change. I mean, Sandy and I are not not Spanish speakers. We try our best, and and we, we've learned a lot, a lot on the trip. Jack is uh, fluent in Spanish, so. There's there's the, those frustrations for me. I'll just use myself as, as an example, trying to go in and buy something, and it's siesta time. So the butcher shop or the bakery that you thought you were going to go buy the buy the the bread with for lunch is closed, and you know most of the time I can keep my cool about just how things go. And sometimes you just throw well, I throw my hands up and say, why can't I just buy a loaf of bread? <laughs> um, you know, it's just it. it so you because you can't. You take you take um, the basics. Uh, and throw a, a language barrier and a cultural barrier barriers into it, or just not even barriers, changes that we're not used to, and that 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 has its own ramifications. Well, that and we're raising a, a I mean, teenager on yeah. the road. So, how does it feel for you guys um, being parents? You know, you're in charge, you run things, but now you're out with Jack, who's fluent in Spanish. You guys are not. He has to rescue you. So, there has to be some sort of give over that you would never have otherwise done. Uh, border crossings. Um, Jack enjoys doing the border crossings. Uh, he likes to be do the take charge things on that. Um, we learn and we ask him questions on things whenever we can. Um, and absolutely, excuse me, Terry and I have to step back on some stuff. Um, and so that's also part of the learning process. Um, Jack, you want to pipe in on anything? Yeah. I mean, a big, a big part for me that I like doing, I like you said, are the borders and I like having something to take charge with on, on the trip that really kind of helps me. I don't know. I don't know how to say it really. All three of us are stubborn. All three of us are strong <laughs> personalities. <laughs> so uh, you can probably, you know, like I said, use your imagination and see what the first this is, four months were like. This has really been a great team building exercise when when, <laughs> when, when you think about it. Because, I mean, we've, we've really had to work together. We got along well before, but, you know, I went from seeing Jack maybe 90 minutes to two hours a day to, to now spending 24 hours a day with him. And it really is the best thing to see him grow and to 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 be able to teach and show and talk to him about things that I, I would really never be able to to do with him if I was still working those kind of hours. And so the upside to, to, to all this is is being able to be with him at at this formidable time. Um, uh, at age thirteen, he'll be fourteen in September. So. Um, you know, watching him at 13 going on 25 where he's, he, you know, he's more comfortable in a hostile environment, not hostile, but a hot, uh, uh, lodging, hostile. a hostile, and uh, lo- um, 
lodging lodging environment <laughs> with with college age kids um, uh, sh- shooting pool and talking about travel and experiences and things that happened previous in the trip. That that's where he's in, in his element. He's really mature, um, and so I think well, sometimes I'm guilty of treating him like he's older than he really is. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, but he's, he's doing a great job on this trip. And, um, so what, what I'm hearing from this end is that you guys are a much tighter group. I mean, that, that's, I think probably pretty obvious here, but I, I don't, I'm sure you realize how, how fantastic it is, but from an outsider looking in, I see that, um, this is, um, a situation where you're going to spend some time, as a family, as a really tight family, and, and I know there's good and bad in there, there's so many people go through bringing up their kids, busy with work. I mean, well, you, you know, you, you know, you've heard the songs as well, and you've heard the people say it. They grow up so fast, and, and it's gone, whereas you're actually getting, like, full value for your time right now. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, and everybody has said that as soon as we tell, especially telling older people with grown children. Um, they say, oh, that is absolutely wonderful to go and do what you're doing because they do grow up so fast. You blink and they're older. I think it's the ones with the younger children um, that don't totally get it yet because you just can't. You just can't. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you don't know what you we know. Were there. <laughs> we were there. Absolutely. Yeah. So everything we're saying, like Terry said before, we can we can say with confidence because we were those people. Yeah. So. Um, when, when people say, oh, I can't do that. I just couldn't do that. We were like, well, you know what? You can. Um, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's absolutely one of the most rewarding things we could have ever done. Not just for Terry and I, but for, for Jack. Like We constantly check in and, and make sure that what we're doing is the right thing. And are we doing the right thing, Bob? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation there. Yeah. <laughs> the last question that we asked ourselves before we, we, we did the handshake was, will we regret this in 10 years if we don't do it? And we, we unanimously blurted out, yes, we would regret it if we didn't do this. Uh, so um, that, that was a big, a big uh, deciding factor is, you know, looking back and not taking a chance. I, I, I know that we would have regretted it. Yeah. That's a good question to ask, and it's um, it's something to think about. I mean, you can ask yourself all kinds of questions and come up with uh, with answers, but you have to ask good quality questions like that. You know, will, will you regret not doing it? Mm-hmm. One thing I didn't ask you guys was why did you sell your house? Was that just a financial thing to to finance the trip, and you you moved to it? Was that all part of it? We we actually just downsized. We sold a house that we had lived in for fifteen years in a university town and we moved further north and we, we were able to buy a house outright. So we've got something to come back to. And so we wanted to, this was a small town in McLeod in Northern California by Mount Shasta. And it's a place we always found ourselves going to um, because the life in the suburban neighborhood, you're constantly reminded of always being on the go, people running around, um, trying to outdo each other, trying to outdo each other. Um, divorces I'm doing better than you are it's just it was just a constant parade of, of um, good and bad and we felt that we just didn't fit in and so yes the house purchase was you know what we're we're cutting ties here and we're gonna move to the town that we really enjoy of a, about 1200 people of some really good caring small town friends who were a family and so we do have a smaller house to come back to 
And we've had people tell us, just sell everything, sell the house. And, and that works for some people, but a lot of those people, we have a child, we have a son. We wanted a home base to come back to. We wanted a home base. So that, that was, uh, so to answer your question, yes, it was financial to lighten the load and just downsize and get, get, you know, get rid of any sort of land debt. But, uh, the other side of it was wanting to have a spot to come back to. You go by the Adventure Trio. You have a, a website, um, very professional-looking website with a, a lot of information on there too, by the way, and we'll give out that link. Well, it's just adventuretrio.com. That link will be in our show notes, and it's um, certainly got a lot of information for anyone who's interested in, in travel at all, let alone motorcycle travel. But um, was this how it started out? Did you plan on doing the, the Adventure Trio? Was the social media, the sponsors, was all that planned at the start of it? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. Um, um, you have us mistaken. Sir. Yes, huh. for people who planned on doing this from the beginning. Um, uh, we started, I started writing about it just on. You, she, she was writing uh, Microsoft Word documents, um, journaling the different little trips we would take. 2006? And yeah, from, from 2006. And she would, she would email this around to just friends and family. And then went and, on to Blogspot. Well, yeah, and then we we had we had joked about a name. This was a couple of years later. I, uh, I wonder what what we should call ourselves. And I remember vividly sitting on our living room floor watching TV and you know kind of bouncing very lightheartedly ideas back and forth. And I said, "How about the Adventure Trio?" Just That's kind of a half-hearted uh, uh, name. And we both kind of raised our eyebrows and said, oh, okay. "Yeah, they, that that sounds kind of cool." So we. We used that name. We had a Blogspot uh, blog for quite a while, and then um, just kept when, growing. Yeah, when Apple, uh, as part of their their what was it called? Anyway, it was anyway. A, we, we did an iWebsite for a little bit because I could manage it, and then eventually when they stopped that, we went we switched it over to, so to WordPress. I mean, it just you know, and website development's easier and easier now. So um, no, so to, and then as far as as sponsorships and things, no. I mean, we've I, I we've no. we've always just done our our, our, our own thing. This, these things have just developed over, over time. time. And we've made any of our sponsors that we have, they're not just people. We, we just, we don't go up to them and say, we, we want your stuff and we'll put your logo up there. No, it's any, the, any sponsor we have, we have a relationship with them. Um, and it's been for many years, um, because we like them, they're part of our family as much as we're part of theirs. So we, we enjoy the people that support us and we support them as much as possible. So everyone who's listening, I'm sure is wondering, how do you get a sponsor? (laughs) Um, You Uh. work really hard and you, we didn't ask to be quite honest. Um, You work really hard and you, you make yourself, I would write columns and articles uh, for magazine. Yeah. And you're honest and you yourself and you show that you're, you're valuable to them. You're viable. You create, you create relationships. Um, and you don't just take the stuff and run. And that's what we've heard from a lot of our sponsors is people just take their, take their product and say, okay, thanks. Um, and they never hear from them again. And that's just not how it works. Um, anybody that we're working with now are products that we've, that we've bought over the years, I mean, right. uh, you know, the anything from panniers to to any any Turtex stuff or yeah. Clearwater or Giant Loop, um, and we've been using BMW motorcycles since the beginning. So 
it's, it's a relationship that you create and you work hard at it. Um, but you, you create relationships and it's a family. It's not just about the things. Would this trip be happening without sponsors? Yes, it yeah. was happening actually. Yeah. It, it, it was happening. It, it, it was happening without sponsors, but it was happening with companies that would give us either discounts on certain items or who liked our story and were looking to help us out kind of halfway. We had supporters. We have two, two older motorcycles ready to go. Yeah, a, a 2006 BMW 1150 GS Adventure, and Sandy has a 2003 F650 GS. They're kitted out, ready to go. And those were the original bikes. Yeah. And so, so this truck. So what happened? Did you leave with those bikes? No. No. <laughs> uh, no. Um, those bikes were ready to go, and then um, we were approached by the powers that be at BMW and said, they said, um, we like your story we like what you're doing as a family and we want to, we want to help, help you tell your story yeah. and we want you to do it on different bikes. And we thought about it for quite some time. Yeah. It, it took us, it took us a month to make a decision. Um, and it was a group decision. The three of us sat down and had a lot of talks about it because mm-hmm. it was really on again, off again, whether we wanted to, to go, go that route. And um, we talked to some other folks in the industry that we all respect and um, got some sound advice um, going going both ways, and so we ended up deciding that that working with BMW was was something that we want we wanted to do, and so we left on a 2014 R1200 GS Adventure and a 2014 F800 GS Adventure. Wow, very nice rides. Now, yeah. what comes with the responsibility of uh, of sponsorship? Um, it's a give and take. It's, uh, um, you, you give them, if they, if they give you products, if they give you bags, if they give you, um, lights, whatever you give back to them and you keep that promise. I'm going to give you, um, the numbers you need via social media. I'm going to share pictures. We're going to talk about your products, um, because we actually believe in them. Um, and it's not because they gave it to us. Interestingly enough, all of our sponsors, ask very little of us. Um, we just because of my business background and Sandy's background in marketing like to give back way more than they would ever ask for. Um, just because we, we believe in the products that we're using and, uh, um, it's a give and take and and it's, you're fair to each other. I mean, it was the fact that BMW came on board was (laughs) pretty amazing. So, we want to make sure and give back as much to them as well as TurtleTech, as well as Delorme, um, everybody who's been very good to us. Good to us. We want to be as um, as good to them or better if we can. What was your original route that you planned to do, um, and and did you have set stops, set cities, and sites that you wanted to see along the way, or are you sort of winging it as you go? Our planned route was south, and that was about um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our, our original plan route was to ride to Ushuaia and then ride home, which was when we saw the plan for 18 months, we take nine months down, nine months back. And then, um, that route kind of changed. I, it changed <laughs> and it kind of, kind of washed away when we, um, realized that there were some parts, maybe we don't want to ride back through, or there were some parts where we stayed in places a little longer than we thought. 
And then with the topic of planned cities, we did have places that we wanted to go, but we didn't have every single day planned out. Like um, we knew that we had, um, like we wanted to go to Lima, Peru. We wanted to go to uh, Medellin, Colombia. We wanted to go to La Paz in, um, in Bolivia. We wanted to go to some places in Brazil. Um, but our original route really faded away once we started getting into the trip. And that goes back to the immersion thing that we were talking about earlier is that if we sped through and sped back, we weren't immersed. We were not immersing ourselves within the culture. We weren't doing what we had intended. Um, but we ended up being in mainland Mexico for seven weeks and Guatemala for five weeks. And, and this just kept continuing on. And we were traveling slower and slower so, because yeah. we were really enjoying the places that we, we were going. And to speed through them just seemed like tagging bases. And we'd spent already most of our lives tagging these bases. So why were we, were we going to make this huge change and then continue the process? So we talked about it and um, decided that we weren't going to do that anymore. We were going to slow down take our time and enjoy the people, enjoy the scenery, enjoy our time in each country. And then so the, the, the plan to ride to the tip of South America and turn around and ride back turned into, let's just still take our time and not, not rush. And uh, when we get to Buenos Aires, we will um, fly us and the bikes back to the U.S. Um, so, you know, so we can, we can take our time and, and, and not, not put these tight time constraints on ourselves. When you say immerse yourself in things, how do you do that when you arrive in a place? Wow. We don't do a whole lot of research before we arrive into a place. We, we like to land, um, get a feel for the country, get a feel for the city, and then from there uh, decide where we want to go. I think um, uh, I'll take Guatemala, for example. Five weeks in Guatemala, there was a – places that Terry really wanted to go, um, like Adelan and go spend some time there. And so what we thought maybe was only going to be one week ended up being, we were there two weeks, three mm-hmm. weeks. Um, stayed, stayed with a, a Mayan family, which was, which was a, a great experience living, living with them, living in some very humble, um, very humble company. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in Peru, we spent six weeks in Peru. Half of those weeks we spent riding, um, on the muddy, roads of the Andes, single lane roads through these tiny villages. Um, Made out of adobe brick and mud houses. And just the people are just amazingly friendly. And I, I just, I can't even describe just how wonderful it's been to be able to slow down and talk to people and shake hands, um, have them offer a place to stay or suggestions or just the friendliness of everybody Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to help. Um, you have to be willing, though, as a traveler to be open to the experience. Um, it's not just about everybody else. You're the one that's there uh, representing um, the states. And so it's up to you coming into their country, into their town, to be the one with the open arms and the great smile. And be um, willing to conform a bit. Yeah, be open to it. Sandy, wow, what a, what a great thing to say that you're there representing the states. I think that's so important to remember that when we go places, we do represent the places that we come from. But Jack, Jack, I, I saw a photograph on social media somewhere along there of something to do with you making friends. And I'm sort of curious, is 
is that has that changed for you? Uh, you know, think back to before you left and you would meet new people, and you probably didn't meet a whole bunch of new people because you were at the same school, uh, the, the same group of friends. But do you find now that you've been on the road for a while and you've went through and you've met new people as you go, do you find it easier to make new friends? And you, I don't know, has it changed your your outlook? Uh, it's definitely opened me up a lot more. I was very shy before we left. Uh, and I still am with meeting people, especially that I don't speak the same language with. Um, but I find myself more comfortable um, talking with older people, like older um, backpackers and other travelers. Um, but meeting, I definitely have opened up a lot since since a year before, or even weeks before we left. He's met a lot of people, a lot of kids his age, especially girls. <laughs> will um will just surround him in the bike what just what can you say i know honey um <laughs> just curious about this this spanish-speaking gringo um and they just it, they're fascinated and i don't how many times have the mothers tried to marry their daughters oh daughter? many times and many yeah. times um the moms <laughs> will will say girlfriend girlfriend <laughs> and you're like no 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 <laughs> So life is good then, right, Jack? <laughs> Better than I thought. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's a pretty good kid. Well, we sort of alluded to the kit that you guys have. I mean, you've got the the brand new BMW motorcycles, which I guess eliminates a lot of problem uh, as far as machine goes. What do you have for for kit? What are you what are you packing? And and I'm sort of also curious as what you started out with as opposed to what you've got now. We've been, fortunately, we've had a lot of dress rehearsals to get to this point. Um, and um, people say, well, you guys are carrying a lot, but they don't realize or finally realize that we're caring for three people. One of them is a teenager. Um, Basically three adults. Three adults. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we have done um, testing trips to find out what we're really going to use, what we're really not going to use. Um when right after we got the new bikes going to the Overland Expo in Flagstaff, Arizona, was a main tester trip. Our first um, trip, more than two days on the new bikes with our with our um, thought of trip gear, um, which includes two tents, three sleeping bags, three bedrolls, three pillows. Yeah. All we we it's like yeah, it's like packing for three adults because yeah. I'm almost five foot ten and I weigh 140 pounds. Yeah, so. On my bike, I carry the two Hilleberg tents and the camp, two camp chairs, my clothes, the kitchen, and um, the office slash bathroom, shower stuff. Yeah. And then on my bike, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the, the, the three sleeping bags, three bed rolls, and three camp pillows, as well as Jack's luxury item, which is, which is his um, – His Kermit chair. His Kermit chair. Oh, my chair. God. <laughs> uh, and then um, Sandy's also carrying Jack's three-quarter size acoustic oh, guitar. guitar. Um, and you're carrying Jack, and I yeah, and I'm I'm carrying carrying Jack and yeah. the tool roll. Yeah, yeah and, and then we and, have uh, um, a tool roll that a company, Adventure Designs, made custom for both bikes, so we can do um, moderate service on them. Which has been the drooling item of every yeah. every male that has seen that thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if he speaks Spanish Who, or English. Whose toolkit is that? Yeah, it's it's always fun it's when we when, when, when we meet up when we meet up with other riders and they want to see the things that, that that we're carrying and and the question of tools always comes up. Well, what do you carry? And if I open up the tool roll, the whole group just 
circles and oohs and ahs. And yeah, I mean, it's it. it we, we had it made so we're not carrying any redundant tools. We've got exactly what we need for both bikes in one one roll, and we've definitely used it for you know everything from oil oil changes and basic maintenance to changing s- suspension bits and and other things that we've that we've beat up on the road. Mm-hmm. Everything has to do has to have two jobs, especially in the kitchen. Everything has to do more than one thing. Um, and as you know, traveling in summer and winter, you've got different clothes for different things and you better layer up pretty good. Um, but I think we've kind of got it down to a science now. So the way you have it divided up right now, is that because that's the way it works the best or is that just the habit that you got into? That's the way it works the best. Yeah. I mean, I think space wise, it's the way it works out the best. It, it seems to be the way the bikes have always been, been packed. True. Even on the 1150, which was a totally different configuration with the way the panniers and the, the top bags were arranged, but the, the items that we're carrying are generally, um, have always been, been that way. I've always, always carried Jack. Um, I've always carried the kitchen. Yeah. Tents, but And we don't pack each other's bikes. I was going to say, the rule is you do not pack each other's bikes. Don't even look at it. Don't touch it. Um, Because you know where everything is set. And if somebody comes over and messes it up, that's that's another little... We didn't even really have to talk about that much (laughs) because we just don't do it. No, no. (laughs) You guys had already mentioned that you've done a bunch of trips before this. Um, When did you start riding motorcycles? Terry, you restarted. Yeah, I mean, I, I rode as a kid and 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 took a break uh, when Sandy and I were nineteen. We were on a sport bike and had a very near near crash, miss, whatever you want to call we were it, 19. and hung it up until age thirty four. And so then um, uh, I started riding at thirty four again. Sandy started. Um, I didn't start riding until. Jack was four or five. Yeah. So you, I've only been riding for 10 years. You were riding after I was riding. Yes. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've only been riding for 10 years. And when you're done all of this and you're heading back home, do you really think that you can return to a normal life? What's normal, honey? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think I don't think we've ever been normal. I think that we tried to be like everybody else, and we're not like everybody else. And um, I'm okay with being weird. I'm okay that I've got a weird kid, and my husband, I'm finding out, is pretty weird. But um, <laughs> um, um. I don't think normal suits us. Um, and I think friends of ours will definitely are probably going to laugh at that because they, they've known it for a long time. And so we'll find our new quote unquote normal. Um, but, uh, we can never go back to what we were. I don't, that was a chapter closed. We're glad we did it. We're very grateful for the friends and the memories, but it's, it's time to move on to what, what is best for us. So what do you do when you go back? <laughs> is that when the anxiety attacks come back? Again? <laughs> Am I, maybe I'm pushing too much because you don't want to think about that. I can tell like you're having, you know, the, you've got the world by the tail sort of thing right now. And I'm asking yeah. for the, the, the further on stuff, the stuff you probably don't want to consider right now. We actually, we, we knew that into this, into this trip at some point we were going to have to start planning for what we were going to do when we get home. And so we have, we do have a lot of different, 
ideas that we are working on and plans that once, you know, once we get something solidified that we can announce that what we're doing, we're doing this or we're doing that. But, um, there's a beauty in coming back to something different. And because of our experiences, because of Jack, because of the decisions that we've made and the planning we did before we left, we can come back and try something completely new and different and probably something I know something that we'll enjoy a lot more than, than what we had previous. What advice could you offer for others that might be considering something, even if they've just listened to your story now and decided, you know, I want to break away. I want to do something. I want to really live. What advice would you have for them? Start, start small, start small. Um, I mean, if, if we're talking about families, you know, start small. If we're talking about individuals or uh, couples, um, Talk about it. Talk about Stay it. Stay open. And don't don't get shot down with the little obstacles that come up. But also don't think that this is easy. I mean, this the, you're, you're, you're not leaving your life behind. You're not leaving all your responsibilities behind. You're taking the basic infrastructure of your life and you're, mo- and you're making it mobile, which in some ways is a little more difficult and in some ways is, is, is a little easier. But um, – I don't want to paint a picture that this is all easy and, 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 uh, no, you're uh, taking, you're taking your life. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's more rewards than, than, uh, uh, negatives for sure. But just, you know, look at the big picture, but don't get scared off by the little stuff that, that might happen or could happen or what if, um, and, but, and, and, and if you're going to go with a partner, um, you've really got to both be on the same page. And, um, I will say always check in with each other, make your decisions as a group. Um, don't make a decision. If you're talking about families, don't make a decision as a husband and wife and then spring it on the kids. Everybody has an input. Everybody has a fair say in what goes on. And every, and it's a topic of discussion. You make your choices and then you go on. Um, I, I'd like to tell people, and that's one of our taglines is don't ask why, ask why not. Um, because everybody, I remember so many people are afraid of what might happen. Something bad might happen, but nobody ever says, I wonder what good will happen. Everybody's thinking, well, the bad part about that is something, you know, nobody thinks about the good. What good things are going to come out of this? What pretty amazingly awesome things are going to come out of this? And that's what you have to focus on is not, well, what if the bike breaks down? What if the car breaks down? What if we get sick on the road? Guess what? The bike might break down. Then you might get sick on the road, but you almost, you, you, every single time you will come out of it, whatever bad experience will come some good. And you've just got to change your mindset. You've got to talk about it. You've got to act as a group and just keep moving forward. Yeah, it does sort of hark back to that, what I was saying earlier about it's human nature to hold on to something and, and we want to hold on to our safety and, and consider that to be the main thing rather than imagine what we, we could be experiencing. I think it's a, it's a great question that you asked there. I often ask people on this show about defining adventure and, and I'm curious with what you guys think and, and maybe you don't have the same definition, but how would you define adventure and, and is, is adversity and time required for it? How would we define adventure? <laughs> Take your family on the motorcycle road. <laughs> <laughs> <In Peru. laughs> um, 
adventure. It's, it's everything that happens to you once you get out of your comfort zone. It's adventure is what happens when, when you don't know what lies ahead. Yeah. Um, adventure comes around the blind turns and, and the broken down bike or, um, it just happens. We've made some amazing friends, um, before this trip and some amazing friends on this trip that we met early on, but we stay in contact with and adventure brings new challenges, new fun, um, a family around the globe that you never thought you would have. Um, that's, that's probably the only negative that I have about adventure is oh, you, it, you for me is I make more friends and then they're not close by. And it's just, it's so hard to leave people behind. It's this constant saying goodbye to people. That's, that's probably the only, that's the only goodbye. It's uh, well, no, we have a reason to go back to this. True. But you know, it's, it's, it's different for me. It's difficult having people that are so spread out that, um, you don't get to see very often. So that's bad and good because you got, yeah. When we all get back together, it's a, it's crazy. It's it's crazy time. (laughs) I like you said, you know, it's when you get out of your comfort zone, I I tend to think that definitely has something to, to do with adventure. But I had asked about time. Do you think you need to go on a really long trip to have an adventure uh, or do you think you can do it in a short period of time? Oh, you can do it in a short period of time. You can do it in any period of time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything can go right or wrong or whatever at any period of time. For us, it was time for us to to take it on the road for a while and immerse ourselves into... Be, being able to detach yourselves from the... I don't want to say the tethers. That sounds very cliche, but the tethers of home and work. I mean, if, if you're going to, even if you're going to go somewhere for two weeks or a month or three months, you, you really do need to be able to go and not have things that you, that, that are, are pulling at you from, from home. Like um, even, even, even if it, even if it's just for half, half the time, you, you've, you've just got to go and be able to, to focus Detach. on, on the experiences ahead because that will, that will allow you to, to, to feel more and to, uh, Take in to more. experience more. Yeah. And not, not always be looking over your shoulder at what's at what you left behind. And I know I'm trivializing that, but that's, that's, um, that's an important component to it. Yeah. I think it's a very good point. Uh, you know, getting away from those things that, uh, th- those stressful things that, that do tie us down in life. So find some sort of way to break away from them. However, it's very difficult nowadays with, geez, with the internet and with, uh, our, our smartphones. And, um, I mean, even for you guys, I mean, you're, you're in touch with social media on a daily basis, but I guess that's, that's different than being in touch with those stressful things that you were dealing with before. It, it, it took me more than 15 years to finally go on a vacation and not be tied to, you know, I mean, with a BlackBerry or an iPhone or any of the, any of the devices, it was really easy. And I got to the point, you know, right before we left that if we went on vacation, I would, I would shut that off and say, this is my time. The world's not going to end in two weeks. And this is better for me cutting it for that period of time than to, try to be everything to everybody. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I, it took me a long, long, long time to realize that. And so, um, but um, you talked about the social media part and as much as it's a, if we didn't have to be, we wouldn't be doing it, but it's a reality. Um, the blessing for social media when it comes to Jack though, is that he gets to talk to his friends back home and he gets to check in with friends he's made along the way. 
the only reason he has a Facebook page is because when we were in Mexico, Morelia, he made a lot of friends that they didn't have certain applications for their phones. They didn't have a, a phone, but yeah. they had a Facebook page. Yeah, and then I didn't, I didn't have a data plan because we're in a foreign country. So the Facebook page was made so he could stay in contact with, with everybody and all these kids from around the world. The one constant is the Facebook. And so we, we monitor it, but, um, but that's the way he can stay in contact with everybody. So, I mean, the reality is that smartphones are everywhere <laughs> and it's not just a, just a, a thing in the, in the States or in Canada, but, um, and, you know, that's just how people stay in contact and you have to kind of reset it, accept that as part of your reality, but manage it as well. But then it's also nice when we're camping somewhere and we don't have Wi-Fi for, oh, it's beautiful for thing. three or four or five days. Um, it's that. actually a blessing because no one's staring at a phone and you, you just find yourself devoting time that would be spent on that towards something totally different. The best times are when we're camping and away from everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and completely cut off because then you just, I mean, I, I find when I do that, that um, I sort of am surprised how many hours there are in the day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? You keep looking yeah. at the clock going, it's only 3.30, wow. wow. <laughs> uh, and that's part of the reason why we moved further north into the forest um, is is to, to have that. I mean, our house, our little house in the middle of the Mount Shasta forest staring at Mount Shasta is kind of brings us back to that feeling to be outside and that's what we craved for so long. And now, now we get to be, get to have it. So. And you don't think there's any point, any chance at this point that you're going to send a message back home and say, sell the house. We're staying on the road. No, um, (laughs) I think, (laughs) no, um, I think we knew ourselves better before we left and we confirmed it, you know, along the way that we did the right thing, maybe down the road, who knows, but for now this, this was the right decision. It's for nice us. having a home base yeah. for us. It's nice yeah, having us, something yes. to go back to. You know, um, some people like to just be liquid and and move about and totally figure it out fine. as they go, and, and that's that's a different way of doing it. But um, we we are looking forward to getting back and seeing friends and and being back in that environment because it, it's such a, such a special place and for us. We love hosting other travelers. We love having other travelers come and stay. There was a summer, two summers ago, our house was full. Um, we had our friend Allison DeLapp on the floor in the front room. We had Ken and Carol Duvall downstairs in the bedroom. We had Simon and Lisa upstairs, Simon and Jack sharing a room. And Lisa's mom was in town from the UK and, and Trisha was there. And so for a week we had, we could cook and, and hang out and share stories and swap ideas. And I don't want to give that up because as much as we enjoy staying with other people, we love hosting. It's nice hosting. Yeah, nice hosting. And so the place that we bought has land where people can camp, friends can stay, motorcycle repairs can be done, motorcycle rides can be done. So um, that's just it's nice to be able to do that for other travelers as well as be a part of the adventure side. And did I get this right? Jack is also trying his hand at riding the motorcycles? Oh yeah, Jack's learning to ride both of the motorcycles. Yeah, I am. I am. I am very, very comfortable in the 800, and I'm getting my bearings riding the 1200 on off-road roads that we have found with um, different skill levels of of the road. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't find the 800 kind of heavy? 
Uh, I find it fun. He's really. Yeah. I mean, I I'm now behind him in in the. Uh, in the Senecom going, Hey Jack, can we slow down a little bit? Because it, it, I, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to when he was four and five years old on his little Honda 50, where I was chasing him through the forest on my big 1150 and me finally getting up alongside of him and waving my hands for him to slow down. At least I don't have to wave my hands anymore. I can just tell him in, in the microphone, but he's, uh, he's really confident on, on, on it. And he took his maiden ride on the, the 1200 the other day, just to see what the, how how different that that was and and uh, I think I, I put a Facebook post up about it after twenty three thousand miles on the back seat he was now in the pilot seat and it was really cool to watch him take <laughs> off and I, I think you can hear on the video me saying was this a good idea oh you should see the grin <laughs> on that face right now uh, hey Jack tell yeah. me in the future do you think you're going to be doing a trip like this on your own probably I'm not I'm not sure though. Yeah. I'll probably, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it, it, it would be weird. You mean it's, weird to be by yourself on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that may change as, as the years go by for sure. But it, it, I guess what I'm alluding to really is, is, is the adventure on the motorcycle. Does it seem like something that, uh, you know, an experience that you want to repeat? Oh, definitely. Just most, most definitely. I, I, I just love doing it. Yeah. it's it's weird to think about not having him on the back and and you know when the day comes when I, when I look in the mirror and see two sets of headlights in, instead of ju- just one um it'll be nice that he can carry his own stuff and the bikes will be lighter oh, so but that's uh, be a beautiful thing but you know i'm not i'm not uh looking forward to having that day come i'd love that you think you're going to see two behind you when you know clearly he's going to be ahead of you oh okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's probably a very good point (laughs) but and then you asked if there was anything that we wanted to say and i i just want to say um that so many people say that oh i could never do what you're doing i could never do this and maybe some can't but i think that the fear of the unknown um just takes hold sometimes and doesn't doesn't let somebody you just can't shake it and I want to be able to you know Terry and I've talked about this a lot and want to be able to say that you can do it and it it's hard but it's something that brings you so much closer and it's such a learning experience and it's so I can't even totally express in words without becoming a bawling mess about how how special this is to be with my boys you made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long journey to get here, but it's, I wouldn't change it for anything. And in your opinion, do you think people should wait until they have the right amount of money, the right time, oh, things sh- are set? There is no such thing as waiting for, it's just like deciding to start a family. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough of anything. And if you wait for that, you're going to be what that cliche is on the deathbed saying, boy, nobody ever says, I wish I would have worked more. And you see so many of those cliched sayings on social media, live life to this, live life to that. And I'd rather see fewer quotes and more pictures of people actually doing it. That's, that's, that's what we need. To a see. big eye opener for me as we were leading up to departure on this trip and, and the fears and doubts in my own head were, were, were plaguing me. And I would meet, you know, just randomly meet an older 
successful guy somewhere. I'd be buying parts or I would be doing this or that. And, and we'd get, we would get t- talking about what we're up to and the trip. And most of these guys would say, go and do it. Um, don't, don't, don't break your direction on it. Um, I'm 75. I lived a good life. I made a lot of money and I kept waiting for retirement to do this trip. And I retired and my wife died or I retired and I got sick or she got sick and I couldn't do it. And, you know, and they all told me I waited too long and I missed, I missed the opportunity. And they all said, two guys in particular put their hand on my shoulder and said, do not deviate from your plan. This is great. You're spending time with your family and your son. And, um, you know, that, that was a real eye opener for me to, to have guys who had a lot of money and a lot of success in their life, but, but let some of these types of opportunities pass them by. And that, that, that certainly helped me through some of the panic times when I was really, (laughs) really second guessing whether or not this was all, you know, the right thing to be doing. And we actually have friends back home who can't do this right now because of illness or, or because they are too ill to travel or they're going through a very bad time right now. And for those people who really can't, we're doing it for them as well. Because um, um, when people are healthy and have this and have that and say they can't, I look at them and say, yes, you can. And don't wait until you, you, you actually can't. Go out and do it now and just take that regret away. This show may not ever air now because now I'm going to go get on my bike and probably meet up with you guys in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Sweet. Head south. Head south. Bring food. Bring food. Bring a support truck. Somebody else can carry some stuff for a while. <laughs> well, what a great story. And uh, I look forward to seeing more. Like I say, we'll put the links in the show notes and people can go to your website and follow your adventure. Uh, and and at the very least, live vicariously through your adventure and through your postings. Sandy, Terry and Jack, thank you very much for coming on to Adventure Rider Radio. No, thank you. Thanks thank for you having so us. much. Yeah, thank you. So I've been speaking with Terry, Sandy and their son, Jack Borden. As they're on their adventure, they're sort of halfway, I guess, and they call themselves the Adventure Trio. They certainly have a website you can go to and find out more about them with photos, videos, and blog, and I encourage you to do so. Their link will be in our show notes, and it is adventuretrio.com. They've also earned their status as Jupiter's Travelers at the Ted Simon Foundation. If you haven't been to that website, certainly look that up, and we'll put that link in our show notes as well for the Ted Simon Foundation. And you can find all of this at our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. This episode of Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting Adventure Riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And motortour.com, the world's only independent social community for bikers. Plan routes, share travel blogs, and meet other bikers on what's been dubbed as the new Facebook for motorbike riders. It's 100% free, so join today at www.motortour.com. Motortour, ride, share, connect. That's www.motortour.com.
and Best Rest products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. boy when i hear that music and i know that it's over for the week i don't know you know i just wish it could go on longer i gotta tell you i absolutely love doing this it is such an honor to talk to the people that i talk to and to have the support from people like max bmw motor tour and best rest i mean it's just absolutely fantastic and most of all to have you as a listener but i gotta tell you that part i said earlier about my grandpappy well kind of lied the truth is i don't really have a grandpappy and I don't know anybody who plays the banjo. But if you do play the banjo and you'd like to play on the show, hey, drop me a line. And I would love to hear that. We could use that. It'd be fun. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. My name is Jim Martin. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Adventure Rider Radio is made possible through Canoe West Media. Special thanks to co-producer Elizabeth Martin. And some of the music played on this episode came from the album Call of the Wild by Cullen. You can check our show notes for a link to their website. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. And before you do, let me ask you to do us a favor. Drop by iTunes. Give our show a rating in iTunes. But most of all, drop by our advertisers and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio because that's really helping things go at this point. If you're inclined to and you think it's a good job that we're doing and you want to donate some money to it, we love that. We really appreciate it. Drop by the website, click on the donate button. Otherwise, drop by the website and check out all the episodes that we've done. We've got so many great people that have been on the show and with so much information for you. Listen to them all. Drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Enjoy your ride on your bike this week. This is Era Garagian with Spirit, my faithful pit bull, from the oasis of my And you are on Adventure Rider Radio. Radio.